So, to be clear, the insurrection on January the 6th, 2021, was to protest the stealing of a democratic election. That the voice or choice of the people was not heard, it was not being obeyed. Is that the complaint? And since January the 6th, every recount and investigation into the Steele claim has proved inaccurate, has not given evidence of a Steele. Still, a sizable chunk of the population believes it was a stolen election. Do they really believe this? Or are they just sore losers or... Is the Democratic Party so hated, so hateable, so alien to the other side that its victory must be the work of the devil? They seem to say that a Biden voter, if there were in fact any, and the result is not just a a massive computer-generated fraud, is under the influence of malign forces, supernatural or otherwise, and apparently we of the left believe something of them. If one believes Donald Trump was a good president whose views and policies were identical or similar to one's own, it does seem to follow that those who disagree are un-American and crucially vice versa. Don't forget the vice versa. The vote count is the vote count, except when it isn't. The vote count is mistrusted constitutionally. It is a founding principle. There was no insurrection in January 2017. That steel was constitutional, consecrated by the electorate, indeed installed by the Electoral College. And I believe so was George Bush's in 2000. The steels we agree to, that we know are steels because we believe the vote count, but select the unelected anyway, is the undemocratic system we have agreed to democratically. No, we somehow have agreed. My ceremony of citizenship began with an oath to uphold and defend the Constitution, an oath to a book of law that is out of date, but biblically eternal and magical. I read it and found it entirely reasonable, though the preamble, the famous bit people quote all the time, was a little shocking in its untruths. It is in the interpretation of it that things get sticky, as would happen with any book of law, which is exactly why it should not be treated biblically. On elections, it was pretty clearly not democratic. Originally, even the average land-owning white fellow, the only one enfranchised, was not to be trusted. So the belief and trust necessary, vital to any democracy, is not there from the beginning. That there was little outcry in 2000 or 2016, no insurrection, suggests that Democrats are A, better behaved, B, more obedient, C, or generally well-heeled enough to say, oh, well, and have something to bitch about for four years. 
or if you like, the Democrats are temperamentally less like the revolutionary founders than the Republicans, or the founders having decided it was a human imperative and right to overthrow a tyranny, possibly felt that an elected state cannot become or be a tyranny by definition. It is the will of the people, after all that made laws, that made the activities of January the 6th illegal. So ultimately, democracy can only happen if we trust the vote counters, the pot-shared counters of the Agora. This is the heart of it. To overthrow a tyranny, our founding reality, presumes that one can morally mistrust an unelected government. Makes sense. But what do we do when we mistrust an elected one? And can one live comfortably in the minority for four to eight years? Was my life horrible while Bush or Trump were president? No, though the Trump era, still not over, does make me despair. I am relatively affluent and my livelihood was not threatened, however. It is very hard to live in the minority without money or hope of money. Whichever side one is on, one votes for the party that will represent one's financial state. And the myth of how we improve that or preserve it. I don't think this is entirely why we vote, but it may be why we trust the count when it goes, when we distrust the count when it goes against us. And also, unfortunately, why, to have a rational, non-insurrectionist democracy, you probably need a much more even distribution of wealth. If the electorate in the richest country ever are voting to put food on the table, you're flirting with with, with an insurrection every damn time. The affluent will always be mistrusted by the poor and vice versa, though Here, there is a non-vice versa, never presented or understood. Therefore, the rich fear the mob and support laws that imprison and punish them. The poor do not reciprocate. They support laws, as far as I can see, for things. The rich support laws against things. People. And by the by, not quite, though, is the story of elitism. There are lots of theories now about when it began, other than the prevailing idea that it was always with us, like there will be poor always. Some of the theories say the agricultural revolution was when it developed, and I can see this, hunting and gathering was a pretty across-the-board activity, little accumulation of wealth possible. Maybe a hunter or, or gatherer might do their thing better than the rest, but all that would mean is that they would have more to offer the less prolific. Hard to hoard meat or gatherings to sell without fridges. It does seem possible that when farming came along, one group tried it and said, blimey, this is hard work, lots of bending over and tilling. Let's invent an elitism so I can get other people to do this for me. Some, few, blokes do not work at all and others do all of it. And let's throw in the idea that the ones who do the work are very badly paid for doing it. Brilliant. How do we make that fly? We invent religion. 
with a hierarchy based on purity, closeness to God, or power, of course. But how do the few exert power over the many? Religion. Or something else, culture. It doesn't matter to me, but there is no evidence at all that there is human nature to blame. The ones closer to God would eat the food produced by others while doing nothing except praying for the souls of the others. Just might work. Just get them scared enough, mate. Easy peasy. And nothing has changed in 14,000 years, at least, depending on the estimates. How did we do that? We called him the father. His son was the shepherd. And the people said, I am the child and the sheep and seemed mostly good that, according to the historians, members of the elite. My project is not quite what did we do before, but rather what would we be like because of the conditions of life before, before the laborer of laborer underlings was needed, and before the religions that made sense of it for the curious, being fathered and shepherded would appeal to most of us before the hormones kick in and dad becomes stupid or old in our eyes. The go-betweens with God seemed to get the power. They were the specialists we are still in awe of. By the time of the Greeks, we gave the oracles. We have the oracles, women, either very young or very old, who brought us the God thoughts, priestesses with the sight and also crazy, which we accepted, oh, the Greeks. And kings obeyed these oracles. Kings said, well, I don't have a clue, so let's ask some crazy girl or Teresius, what's what? And if the news was good, it rubbed off on the king who had asked. As I study today, this class, the priestess class, talks to the monarch and decides what to do, way over the head of us ordinaries. Or we agree it is over our heads. And today there is little wisdom in what they say, but much wit in how they say it. These tricks of speech are learned at school. And there we are, and here we are. As an observation, it seems to me that elitism, the urge to belong to an elite, has not been overcome by its own detractors. In the long history of labor, since we started farming, it, labor, has gone from horrible, exhausting, little better than being an animal work, to unionized auto workers with great pensions, health care, and retirements, and then slowly and willfully back to field work underpaid with no benefits in other countries. Why? It maintains the profit margins, but also it is aided by the fact that elitism is as dominant of our sensibilities as it ever was, and as un and as unfounded and as desperate of myth to maintain it. I still hear the elites speak every day as if they were of the rest, as if the rest were monolithic, bovine, unimaginative, and materialistic. 
No interesting conversations from our Gabriel Oaks. Are you sure? No interesting soul or thoughts. He cannot even read. He is ironically a shepherd, <laughs> a real one for real sheep that he loves and protects. But they are another species. The metaphor of sheep is creepy, but so is the idea that we are all aspirers or that aspiration is what it is cracked up to be. The striving in every piece of Western fiction often looks like people who are never satisfied and can't enjoy life as it is, who are neurotic and constipated, but entirely Christian that way, striving for virtue and rising above the horror of being human. Do beware of imagining that intellectual or spiritual pursuit is superior to actually making something and that the makers, the miners, the bakers and refiners are longing to rise to your level. It's not risen. It is driven by ego, mostly. or to make sense of one's being fed what they do not and cannot grow. Aristocrats at Jamestown. You know the old story, Bill Withers on Dick Cabot. Dick, two weeks ago you were installing toilets on Lockheed's. Now you are a superstar. How does it feel? Bill, I don't know. Try going two days without one of my toilets or one of my songs. It's just possible that he is prouder of the toilet than the song. 